Welcome to Horrendous, a best friends podcast, the intermission variety. I'm Callie, and with me is the butter to my bread, <laughs> Elizabeth. Hi, how's it going? It's going. How's it going for you? Uh, it's the last time my vacation. We've been gone for a minute. We have. I had a vacation, and then Elizabeth had a vacation, and... I didn't have internet at my mom's house. I couldn't even open up the LA Times crossword. <laughs> well, you know, that's what happens uh, when you're in the butt, one of the buttholes. Or nay, I say armpit, not necessarily butthole. The armpit of society. I, yeah, it was very sweaty there. I'm sure people will have a lot of feelings about me calling our small town the armpit of society. But, you know... <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> That's fair. It's not me being an elitist because I live in another small town that is also an armpit of society. <laughs> it's just, it is what it is. Listen, we got a lot to talk about. A lot has happened in these here weeks we've been off. And I want to start with the one thing that I know everybody was probably wanting us to discuss the most. I think you know where I'm going with this. I don't know. You look confused. I want to talk about the Ocean Gate disaster. Yes. So this is, at this point, this is old news, okay? But let me tell you, the chokehold that this story had on me while it was going on was strong. Like, if if, if I was in a wrestling match, I'd be out. Lights out. This is how strong the chokehold was. I was invested, not because, okay, let me be clear, not because I was worried about billionaires who spent, you know, a quarter of a million dollars each to go into a, uh, the equivalent of a Dodge Grand Caravan being controlled by a Logitech game controller. I needed to know what happened. I needed to know, like I, the only, and let me be clear, I, It is tragic that people lost their lives. Yes. It is tragic. However, I do not feel bad for them. With the exception of the 19-year-old who was on board, he is documented that he was terrified to go on this trip. He was very scared, did not want to do it, but because it was Father's Day weekend... He gave in and went. His mom was originally supposed to go, but she gave her seat up to him because it was his dad's dream to see the Titanic. So he wanted to do this for his dad. He is the only one I have true empathy for and in this situation. I am sad that these families lost loved ones. That is awful and I, you know, unimaginable. Like, however... They signed a waiver where literally on every page it says you could die. So they knew what they were getting into, okay? People are yelling at us for not having sympathy for literal billionaires who could be using their time, their money to, I don't know, fix the fucking world's problems. And instead, they are going to... The see the resting place of literal poor people who died on this ship because the rich people 
were prioritized into getting in these lifeboats and the poor people were basically like left, like not allowed up to deck to get in these boats to safety. Right. So the irony there is, I mean, come on, it's obvious. Right. So I really, I have a hard time feeling bad for these people because, again, they're billionaires who were just literally just pissing money away. And I was really obsessed. There was a few theories (laughs) of what my favorite, my favorite TikToks were. The ones where it was the ghosts of the third class passengers overtaking the submarine. And then my other favorite theory was it was an orca because apparently orcas are getting, this is the year of revenge for the orca. They're attacking all of these yachts. And oh my God. And I say, you know what? I'm rooting for the orcas in this situation. But ultimately was pressure that ended up making the submarine implode. And unfortunately, these people lost their lives. Again, very sad. But my empathy kind of goes out the window a little bit. I actually had to quit looking at the news on Reddit because my anxiety was so bad because I kept trying to put myself in their position, which I should not have been doing. Like, I would never have the money to go there. But the part that killed me, too, was, of course, James Cameron, gatekeeper of all things Titanic, had to enter the chat. And he said that a lot of, like, professional submarine divers were very, like, against this Ocean Gate company, like, doing this because they said the submarine was very experimental Like, it had not been really road tested well enough, and it was just not safe. They cut corners, and they didn't really follow any kind of safety regulations. And your homeboy, twin to your baby daddy, Josh Gates, host of his (laughs) Expedition of Unknown, even said, like, he was going to dive down to the Titanic for an episode. And they went, and they did, like, a... They went to Seattle or wherever this Ocean Gate headquarters was. It was in Washington, I think. But anyway, they he went and they did a test dive just in Puget Sound. And he said he left and was like, we cannot, as much as I would love to go see the Titanic, I, I do not feel safe. So when a, like... Real, I don't even want to call him a reality star because, like, he's he's an archaeologist. Like, he is an educated person who just happens to host a TV show. Right. When he's saying that he backed out, like, on an episode that could have got him huge ratings, like, you know, like, that's, that there's a problem. And then, of course, James Cameron had to compare it to the actual Titanic tragedy. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up, James Cameron. Like... He like he thinks he's the authority on the Titanic and it's so goddamn aggravating. Like I just I I cannot even. So I just I know that people are are uh are fans the void out there were probably like, "Oh god, they're going to have feelings." We do, but you know, it's not any different than anyone else feels. I also am a firm believer that like those families should be responsible for paying for the uh rescue efforts. 
I don't think that any like Canada or US, you know, any country that was involved in helping recover these people in the wreckage, I don't think any of the countries involved should be on the hook. Like our taxpayer dollars should not be going towards, you know, what was a recovery mission and not a search and rescue mission. I think it should be the families because again, they're literal billionaires. And the cost of this mission to recover them is in the millions. So they they can they can pool their resources and they can foot the bill for it. Yeah, I know that's really a shitty thing to say, but I just don't think our taxpayer dollars should be. We have more important things. Our tax dollars should be going towards, like I don't know, veterans' health care, universal health care. Education. education. Yeah, I was going to say education. <laughs> yeah, I mean, vastly more important things. So that's all I really want to say about the Ocean Gate controversy. Um, and then we do have some true crime stuff. Um, do we want to hit that now or do we want to wait? Uh, we can hit it now. That way, if people don't want to listen to books or movies, they can or about move my trip. on. <laughs> or about your trip. <laughs> So one uh, a big uh, story in the true crime world, if you are a person who considers yourself, I hate using the word fan because it just sounds so gross. If you are somebody who is interested um, or a consumer of true crime media, how about that? Yeah. I was going to say enthusiast, but then I was like, nope, that's the that's same thing as gross. fan. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're a consumer of true, any kind of true crime media, odds are you know who Sarah Turney is. She's the host of the Voices for Justice podcast. Um, and then you've probably also heard the story of her sister, Alyssa Turney. Um, I know Crime Junkie has covered this story. I know a couple other podcasts have covered this story. I don't think it's something that we will do just out of respect for Sarah because she has had some issues with the way that the story has been covered by other podcasts. And so just respectfully, I don't want to lump ourselves in with those people. Not that I think we would be disrespectful in any way. I just, I, she had tweeted once that she was asking, and maybe it was just during, you know, while the trial was going to go on, that people refrained from covering her sister's story. Yeah. So that's something we're not going to cover. Maybe in the future, should she change her feelings on it? We might, but for now, that's not something we're, we're going to uh, talk about um, for a full episode, but I feel feel like this, because it's news, is actually worth mentioning. Um, so just a brief summary, Alyssa Turney uh, disappeared, and her father was suspected of being responsible. And so Maricopa County in uh, Phoenix took on the case, and they actually... He was arrested for second-degree murder and was charged in connection to the disappearance of Alyssa in 2001. Basically, after some testimony from Sarah and others, so July 17th, after two days of testimony from Detective William Anderson, Michael Turney's defense attorney submitted a motion for the judge to acquit him of any charges because of the Arizona rules of criminal procedure rule 20. And this is all from, sorry, NBCnews.com. Okay. 
that the court must enter a judgment of acquittal if there's no substantial evidence to support a conviction. And the reason for that is because there was no physical evidence that Alyssa was deceased. They've never found her. They've never found any sort of remains. And unfortunately, the judge, Sam Myers, in this case, did rule in favor of Michael Turney's defense request. And so they did dismiss the case. And he was actually released from custody on July 18th. Alyssa's two siblings, or two of Alyssa's siblings, Sarah and James Turney. Sarah, again, host of Voices for Justice podcast, and she does a lot of victim advocacy work. They released a statement saying that they were grateful for all the support that they've received throughout the years. And of course, this is not the result any of us wanted, but we are grateful for the Maricopa County's attorney office for taking Alyssa's case to trial. They also thanked detectives from the Phoenix Police Department and the nonprofit organization Defenders of Children. And of course, they also thanked the true crime community um, because everybody kind of rallied around Sarah in this story because they wanted justice for Alyssa and they wanted Alyssa to be found. And Alyssa said directly in a statement to Alyssa, I love you and I'm sorry you move mountains to protect me from the reality of our lives so I could have the best childhood possible. That is something I can never repay you for. I just hope that you know I tried and that you deserved so much better. James stated, like my sister Sarah, my brother and I want to extend our thanks to all of you who have contributed in the process of trying to find justice for our sister Alyssa. This would not have happened without your dedication and support. And then finally, Maricopa County Attorney Rachel Mitchell released a statement saying, For more than 20 years, Alyssa's family fought for justice, and their perseverance is a testament to the love they had for Alyssa. I am proud of the hard work by prosecutors and law enforcement on this case. While our office doesn't agree with the judge's ruling today, we respect the decision of the court. So, just awful. It's one of those things, it's hard, because you would have hoped, with the precedent set by the Kristen Smart case where, I forget this, Flores, Paul Flores was charged with the murder of Kristen, even though there was no body Mm -hmm. still and him being sent to jail for that. You would hope a precedent like that, you know, in a case like this, again, where you have a suspect that Alyssa could have received the same sort of justice. So that's really unfortunate. And, you know, not that Sarah is going to listen to this episode, but Sarah and to the rest of your family, we are extremely sorry to hear this. And it is a huge loss for victims and victims rights advocates. And uh, Alyssa absolutely deserved better. So um, thoughts and positive energy to you and your whole entire family. And so with that, we do have a little bit of a win in, as far as victims' justice goes. The Long Island serial killer has been arrested. Who they suspect was the Long, I- Long Island serial killer, a man named Rex Hewerman. So this is from the New York Post. So I can't really pinpoint what kind of connected him. I know that he apparently... According, this is ABC 7 New York. Prosecutors say Rex Herman was living a double life, using burner phones and anonymous email accounts to arrange sex and search for child pornography, or, well, child abuse, child sex abuse material, while raising a daughter and stepson and commuting into New York City for work. 
Um, his wife has filed for divorce, and he was charged in the first-degree murder in the deaths of Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello, who are all known victims of what they were deeming the Long Island serial killer. And he is also considered the prime suspect in the death of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. They say the investigation into Hurman included interviews with incarcerated sex workers. Uh, investigators said that they have been talking to sex workers about possible interactions with Rex Hurman as they worked to develop a more complete picture of his movements and methods. Two sex workers currently in Suffolk County Jail had prior contact with Hurman and have audio recordings of him, according to the sheriff's office. The two interacted with him through various social media platforms. According to Suffolk County Sheriff Errol Toulon, Toulon, gosh, I cannot say that, um, he had reached out to them for sex. They had took the calls, but unfortunately, or but fortunately, they did not meet with him. They had also been talking to other sex workers in Suffolk County Jail, seeking anyone who had interacted with him in the past. And he was ultimately identified as a suspect in the Gilgo Beach deaths. The Suffolk County Sheriff's Office shared his distinctive physical description with inmates they knew were involved in sex trafficking. They also went through his phone records and realized the two sex workers serving time in jail had previously been contacted by him. They were interviewed and provided the audio recordings. After he was arrested, members of the jail's human trafficking unit were then cleared to show his photo to current inmates to see if they had any contact with him. And they had also, and they said all, they were also reaching out to sex trafficking victims who were no longer in police custody. And apparently, so to back to the New York Post page. He was bizarrely close to his controlling mother, mother while he was an adolescent. He pleaded not guilty, of course. Apparently, they found a soundproof room in the basement of Hewerman, and they believe at least one woman may have been killed there. They brought in cadaver dogs, a backhoe, and ground-penetrating radar to try to locate possible bodies and, quote, trophies in his backyard. They removed from his family home... Multiple items, one of which was a creepy child-sized doll with blonde braids encased in glass and wood, and a portrait of a disfigured woman, and a ton of guns, as many as 300. So, super cool guy. Yeah. Um, his wife um, said she is disgusted and embarrassed, which... I would be too. And she filed for divorce Absolutely. last week. And remains in hiding. And... Yeah, so I thoughts and positive energy to her. We're so sorry that into her children. I can't even imagine. I did see something where apparently there was seven additional bodies found on his property, but I can't find Jesus. that article. Yeah, I can't find that article. So I'm, that's just speculation right now. So that happened. And that's huge because the Long Island serial killer, like, has been, like, a focus for multiple true crime podcasts, multiple documentaries. I know that there was a theory that it was actually the former sheriff. Um, if you listen to um, Unraveled, it was a documentary-style podcast um, that was hosted by... What's his face? Billy Jensen, who, not a great guy. And Alexis Linkletter, who was an investigative journalist. They uh, hosted and did a short series on that. So there, I mean, there's been a lot of speculations over the years. And then our friend Andrea 
from Grizzly Grapes, who also hosts Know the Doe. Her first episode was actually about some of the unidentified victims from the Long Island serial killer. So uh, hopefully with this arrest, maybe those remaining um, unidentified victims will get their names back. Do you have any thoughts? No, I mean, it's good he was caught. <laughs> yeah, Maybe I mean, allegedly. It gives, you, it gives you a little <laughs> bit of hope. Right. That more of these cold cases will be solved. Right. Again, I don't, I couldn't really find anything. But also I was trying to do it quickly while we're recording. I should have done it before we recorded. What led them to name him as a suspect but, you know, hopefully this will lead to more of these, you know, cases being solved, you know, because yeah. all of these victims, they deserve justice and their families deserve to see justice carried out. So um, yes. this is a win for justice as it stands right now. There was some documents. There was new court documents released regarding the Delphi murders. And this is an article from June 28th, so it's a little old. But 19 of the original 137 court documents are still sealed. But the one I wanted to bring up was that apparently in 2017, shortly after the murder of Abby and Libby, investigators actually spoke to Richard Allen who had stated he was on the trail, and this is from, sorry, um, WTHR.com, Channel 13. I don't know. I'm assuming this is in the uh, Indiana news station, but anyway. Richard Allen had stated he was on the trail from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. on February 13th, the day that Abby and Libby had originally went missing. He told investigators he had parked at the old Farm Bureau building, which was later confirmed to be the former Child Protective Services building, and he told them he saw three girls at the Freedom Bridge. He also told investigators he did not speak with the girls as he walked from Freedom Bridge to the High Bridge. He was also, again, interviewed in Oct on October 13th, 2022, and he again told investigators that he was on the trail and that he saw girls on the trails east of Freedom Bridge before he went to the Monan High Bridge to watch the fish. They eventually, as we know, executed a search warrant of his home and they found where they found jackets, boots, knives, and guns. Indiana State Police Laboratory performed an analysis on one of Allen's guns, which con confirmed was a match for an unspent round found within two feet of... Um, the girl's remains. So I found that really scary. So they've actually had their eye on this guy for a while. Right. And of course, his attorneys are raising questions about the science used to link the gun to the bullet found at the crime scene. Just a bunch of bullshit. Right. So hopefully we'll see some more updates in that case coming soon. Um... And hopefully, Abby and Libby will officially get the justice they so deserve. Obviously, with the arrest of Richard Allen, that's definitely a step in the right direction. Yes. And so, apparently, 
there may be a serial killer in Oregon. Let's see. So the bodies of six women were discovered in and around uh, the city of Portland over the span of five months. Five of the women have been identified. Kristen Smith, age 22, Joanna Speaks, age 32, Charity Perry, age 24, an unidentified woman who was found on April 24th, Bridget Webster, age 31, and Ashley Real, age 22, were all found in and around the city of Portland. There has been an arrest, but he has not been charged. Jesse Calhoun was identified as a person of interest in the in the, the serious death of the women who were found. He is actually currently in prison for unrelated charges. And the ex-governor of Oregon is actually under fire because he was released early for crimes he was serving for previously. Wow. So there will probably be more to come on that story. And then finally, in true crime news, this is my last true crime story. Um, have you seen the story of Rudy Farias? I don't think so. Oh, it, it's, it's wild. So... In 2015, Rudy Farias, I hope I'm saying that last name right, went out to walk his two dogs on March 16th, 2015, and the dogs came home, but he did not. And at least that is what, because he was 17 at the time, and that's what his mother had told Houston police. I did hear this. When she reported his disappearance. However, on June 29th, Rudy actually appeared at a church eight miles from his house. And he had been living with his mother the whole time. Yeah. And I guess allegedly he came home a day after his mother reported him missing. This is so wild. So I guess when people would see him coming... And going from her house, she told people it was her nephew. And she continued to tell police that uh, Rudy was missing. They really don't know what the motive is for this. This poor kid. Like, he he really has a lot of uh, help. He <sighs> says his mother brainwashed him. I don't know. It's just It's just a wild story. Right. Like, I wonder if it's one of those things, like, she did it for the attention, like, she had, like, the attention she was getting. But then at the same time, you don't want that much attention because you're... So that was my thought. My other thought was maybe she was hoping, like, maybe she got life insurance because after seven years, you can have somebody declared legally dead. Yeah. So maybe she did it for that. Now, I don't, I, I didn't see anything saying that there you know that was a reason but that i mean it's either it's, it has to be one of the two right it's just confusing so confusing okay hold on i have to go start my pot of corn on the cob okay okay and i am back welcome back okay so before we jump into shit we've been watching and reading there's two things that are not True crime, but I think they're worth discussing. 
Okay. The first one is true crime adjacent. His, I, you know what? I would consider it true crime, actually. Mm-hmm. President Biden actually just announced that he's going to sign a proclamation to establish a national monument honoring Emmett Till and his mother, Mamie Till Mobley. I was going to bring that up if you didn't. <laughs> um, the national monument will span across three locations in Illinois and Mississippi. And according to The Independent, will, quote, protect places that are central to the story of Till's life and death at age 14 and the acquittal of his white killers and his mother's activism, which helped spark the civil rights movement. And for those of you who don't know the story of Emmett Till, here's a very quick synopsis that we eventually, I'm sure, will cover when we're mentally prepared to, because this is a very horrible story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emmett Till was a 14-year-old teen that was accused of whistling at a white woman in Mississippi in 1955. And he was lynched by a mob of angry white men, as they are known to do. And he unfortunately died, and his mother became a huge civil rights advocate and... It was just an all-around just badass lady. So I think that that's awesome. And I think that's something that is sorely needed because as these kind of historic landmarks, so to speak, start to get older, I don't know, I'm not articulating this very well. Like we're losing these pieces of history that we could be using to educate. That's, That's where I was going with that. Um, so that's great. That's fantastic. And then this is not true crime, but you know what? We're I know you're gonna have feelings about it. Oh God. The Jason Aldean drama. Oh God. Try that in a small town. Somebody yeah. who's from Macon, Georgia, which is not even a fucking small town. Right. So this is what I'm gonna say. Bo Burnham did a special years ago. Where, and, and if anybody who you know Bo Burnham, you know he does a lot of musical numbers in his stand-up. One of them is called Pandering, where it's basically making fun of these rich country singers who try to act like they're simple folk. And while many of them did come from, like, your normal blue-collar origins, they're not living that lifestyle anymore. No. So, his music video is really the core of the issue and yes. somebody on TikTok, and this is why I love TikTok, took screenshots of different clips in the video. Mm-hmm. You want to know something? What? The majority of those clips were not even from the U.S. They were from <laughs> Europe. Like, and she was very uh-huh. specific and detailed in the screenshots she took and the research she did. I, I can't think of the creator's name right now, but they did a phenomenal job. And yes, the, a lot of those clips were not in the U.S. They were all overseas in Europe. Huh. And another thing, I think it was a lot of small town people who were storming the Capitol on January 6th, Jason. So sit the fuck down. Yeah. Like... So I I don't know the song and like I had I don't know the goof. song either, but I can tell you it's stupid as fuck. It, yeah, so, I so, read the lyrics and I was like, whatever. So you can bleep this name out, but do you remember? You remember Nick? Yes. 
Okay, so he, <laughs> this is from his Facebook page because I'm friends with him on Facebook. Try that in a small town. Sounds like a 13-year-old wrote a bunch of sentences down and Jason Aldean just sang the words. Song ain't good. I said what I said. <laughs> and Nick is a black man. So I'm, you know what? I think he put it best. He's a black man who grew up in a small town. So that's yes. all you need to know right there. <laughs> So I think he has uh, he has a very good perspective right. on why this song and the music video uh, number one is stupid, number two problematic. Yeah, that's all I, I that's all I will uh, uh, say on it because other people on TikTok are doing a way better job of roasting the shit out of him. So. Right. Yeah, it just brings me back to like Garth Brooks. We shall be free. Yes. Being, like, banned. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, that song still makes me cry. Yes. And I know that's it's really so stupid, good. But it is so good. And so when Garth, but that was another thing I don't think we've got to talk about. Garth Brooks came out and said, hey, we're going to still serve Bud Light in my bar in Nashville. Like, yes. And he, people were angry and surprised by this. But it's like, have you never listened to any of his fucking songs? Right. He is a very outspoken, like, liberal person. He actually votes conservative most times. Like, I actually yeah. looked it up. But he's not a Trump lover. He's not yes, a mag- okay. maggot. Yeah, liberal is not the right word. You are right. Right. But he very He's more centrist. Yes. and he, But he is a very, he is a believer in human rights. And he's an advocate. Mm-hmm. For, I should not really advocate, but supporter of human rights and so and he has been throughout his career so why this surprised anybody and angered anybody i don't know who you've been listening to and thinking it's garth brooks oh right did you confuse (laughs) travis tritt and garth brooks like is that oh god so anyway um yeah It's just what a wild time. And it's like, you know, I, I've seen it on Facebook a few times. And it's like for all you people telling, uh, you know, who who don't like the Jason Aldean song or don't like Jason Aldean to not listen to the song, then don't go to libraries if you don't want to read these books. Like, Or don't go to drag queen don't story Don't go to drag hour. brunch. Yeah. Don't go to drag <laughs> time story hour. Like, it's the whole thing. The hypocrisy is wild. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's all I really want to say about that. Um, we both watched a thing. Yeah. Unknowingly, like, at the, the same day, watched a thing. Um, <laughs> Callie, what were your thoughts on Renfield? I loved it. It was, it was funny. Oh, my God. Like, just, like, I didn't know much going into it. But as soon as it started, I'm like, oh, my God, he's in a support group for abusive <laughs> So, I know a lot of people, like, it didn't do well at the box office. Right. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was, Matt enjoyed it. Matt thought it was funny as hell. And he usually doesn't do the whole vampire movie thing, but I think because it was a comedy. Yeah. And Nick Cage. And Nick Cage is Dracula. And when they first (laughs) cast this movie and said Nick Cage was going to be Dracula, I'm like, are you effing kidding me? But then when it came out that it was going to be a comedy, I was like, okay. Okay. Yeah, like I like I can get behind that. It was so funny, and it was very self aware of what it was. Right, like it wasn't like like they knew this was just a goofy comedy, just mm-hmm. with vampires. And the fact that John Ralphio 
Ben uh, Schwartzman yeah. is in it. Oh, my God. And then, like, Matt and I were dying because it takes place in New Orleans. And we just got back from New Orleans, which we'll talk right. about in a few minutes. But let me tell you, Nick Cage is, like, they really like to talk about him in New Orleans. And, and I'll get to why when I talk about my visit <laughs> there. But it was so funny. And Nicholas Holt was phenomenal. Yes. I adore him. He's a terrific actor. And getting to see him, like, in this kind of role was super cool. I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend watching it. It's not a serious movie. No going in. It's a comedy. Yes. So, yeah, I, I highly recommend. Thoroughly enjoy it. I, you know, it doesn't have a very good rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But I don't think a Rotten Tomatoes is a good barometer for movies. Right. Because, like, Matt and I have watched a lot of movies that have had bad reviews on Rotten Tomatoes that were actually really good. And we've watched movies that have had really good reviews on Rotten Tomatoes that were actually really shitty movies. Right. So, take that with what you will. I highly enjoyed it. As a, as a vampire fan, I thoroughly <laughs> yes. enjoyed it. Yes. And it's got me very excited as if I was not excited enough for the last voyage of the Demeter, I even Brady's excited. Brady <laughs> gives a shit less about vampires, but I told her I'm like, this is a take on Dracula that like it's a new take because usually it's the you know it's the same story right that's always right. told, but they literally took one chapter from the book. And are telling the story about that. And I think it's interesting because it's not a story that's been told before. And the cast looks pitch perfect. I'm so excited. It's only coming into theaters and I asked Brady because Matt will have no desire to see this movie. Right. I asked Brady, I'm like, do you want to go with me to see this? And she said, absolutely. So we're going to go <laughs> to the theater and see it. I am stoked. Like, I keep seeing trailers for it. It looks freaking phenomenal. I cannot wait. Yeah. It just kind of made me laugh, too, like the whole black and white segment. Yes! Because they actually, like, put Nicolas Cage uh-huh. in scenes from the Bella Lugosi Dracula. <laughs> I was living for it. It was so good. <laughs> but there was this book series. I think you would enjoy it. I would listen to it on Audible, though, because mm-hmm. the guy, I tried to read the books and the chapters are really long and I have a problem with it, but it's, you watched the show when, before it got canceled, the passage. Yeah. Okay. So it's vampires and it's a trilogy. And I think in the second book, they have electricity and like a DVD player or something. And they watch the old Dracula and they're like, this is nothing what it's like. <laughs> right? And they're like, Renfield, no! Yeah. <laughs> it is so good. But I really enjoyed that series. I think you would like it too. Okay. I think I might have tried to listen to it on Audible and then like couldn't. I hated Scott Brick's voice until I got to like halfway through the second book. And I was like, oh, he's actually doing a really good job. Yeah, speaking of, since we're talking about books, I just listened to a book on Audible called A Dowry of Blood. Okay. And it is a take 
quotes on Dracula, but is told the pers- from the perspective of one of the three brides. Okay. And what they, it's very interesting because there's two female brides and a male bride. And it takes place, she's telling the story over centuries. Mm-hmm. And how they meet wife number two and then the husband or whatever. And how she ultimately kills him. Like she makes it very clear at the beginning of the book. So this is not a spoiler. It's very clear at the beginning of the book. Like she's like, this is how, this is why I killed you. And I'm listening to this book and it's interesting, but it is kind of smutty and I typically don't do smut. So I'm at work. Like what the fuck am I listening to? It made me uncomfy. Like I was just like, okay, like this is interesting, but it was decent. Like, I bring it up since we're talking about vampires. Um, Right. So it's called Dowry of Blood. If you're interested in listening to it, it's on Audible. I did see it, I think, at Barnes & Noble. Um, I'm sure you can find it at another local bookstore that's not a big chain. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you like vampires and you like smut, check it out. Um, (laughs) I do not like smut. I don't either. Much to the chagrin of my friends uh, Sarah and Belma, who love smut. They're my smut sluts. Um, <laughs> they, I can't get behind it. Like, no. Like, I tried to read Sookie Stackhouse, and I'm like, I did not know what it was going into it. And I'm like, yeah, this is disgusting. I do not yeah. like this. Yeah, not for me. I mean, I respect people who like smut. You know, everybody has their thing. It's just right. my thing. Yeah, no. And then, since we're talking about stuff we watched, I just binged over the course of two weeks The Bear. I haven't seen season two yet. I won't tell you. I just, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Why I did not watch this show when it originally came out? I have no idea. Season one? I don't either. But it combines food and Chicago, two of my favorite things. Right. And it has Jeremy Allen White, who's in Shameless, who was phenomenal in Shameless. (laughs) But let me just say... The creator of this show knows, like, I, I looked him up. He's from Park Ridge, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. Phenomenal. The way that these people talk to each other, the character Richie, mm-hmm. that is every guy who's ever been friends with my dad. <laughs> it's so good. And the character, like, his character development like into season two, like you, he has huge character development in season two and Tina. I love Tina's character development. Like, I mean, just the whole freaking show is phenomenal and they better bring it back for season three. That's all I got. Yeah. To say. <laughs> love it. What else have we watched? We watched national treasure last night. The show also, or the movie? The movie. Oh, Because Jake's never seen it. Shut the fuck up. And then we watched Ghost Ship again. Because Patrick never seen it. I love it. I love that movie. I've only seen it once. I just remember poor Carl Carl Urban dies in it. Yeah. And he's so hot with his long dark hair in that movie. (laughs) I thought I was the one who likes long hair. I typically don't. I, I know. Some people, absolutely. <laughs> Carl Urban is one of them. He's so hot in that movie. <laughs> oh, I recently found out that him and Katie Sackhoff used to date. Yeah, multiple years. Like, we're in a serious relationship, yeah. and then they ended up, yeah. 
Because, and I say this, I had to, I had to look it up because she was a guest host on an episode of Fat Man Beyond. Uh, Mark Bernardin had her on while Kevin Smith was doing, uh, he was filming uh, Jane Silent Bob, the reboot. Mm-hmm. And so while he was off filming, he had different guest hosts on and Katie was one of them. And so they were talking about like, he brought up Lord of the Rings and he brought up Star Trek. And she's like, are you just going to keep bringing up everything my ex has ever been in? I was like, who is her ex? <laughs> and then I gave it a goog. I'm like, oh my God. Good yeah. Each, like, good for him and good for her. Like, cause she's hot and he's yeah. hot. I'm like, so like good for Good job. Bravo to both of you. Like, not that it's a surprise that two hot people got together. But like, right. It's, yeah. I was, yeah. Two sci-fi people, hot yes. sci-fi people got together. Yes. Sci-fi slash fantasy people. Right. Yes. Uh, I love Katie Sackoff. I, I know love you her. do. I love her. Apparently, I need to quit gatekeeping her, so whatever. Who says you're gatekeeping her? Patrick. Oh, shut You know, Patrick, shut up. I'm saying this directly to you. Don't bully my friend. We're going to have beef. We're going to have problems. I'm the only one allowed to bully her. That's fair. We started Righteous Gemstone Season 3. Okay, we haven't finished Season 2 yet, but I love that show so much. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, I love John Goodman. I mean, th- that was Matt's one disappointment because John Goodman lives in New Orleans. Yeah. Or at least owns a house in New Orleans. Right. He's there from time to time. He's like, I hope we see John Goodman. I'm like, we're in the <laughs> wrong neighborhood for that, babe. Like, we're going to have to go to the rich neighborhood, to the Garden District to find right. John Goodman. We, we didn't, but. I love him. Yeah. It, I've liked what I've seen so far. And then Jake just started playing Jedi Survivor for okay. me to watch him play. <laughs> Brady's still playing uh, Resident Evil Village. Matt just started Diablo. Well, I shouldn't say just started. Matt's been playing Diablo 4. I still need to finish my uh, The Devil Inside or The Devil in Me. I think that's what it is. It's a, it's basically a choose-your-own-adventure game. It's not a real video game. Right. Um, but I love it because those games I can play. Right. Um, with Matt's help sometimes. Yeah, that's really. I'm reading a book by A.G. Riddle. It's called Pandemic. And I, I cannot like put it down. This. No, he also. Oh, is this a different one? Yeah, this is a different one. Uh, it came out in 2017. So a lot of the stuff I'm like, yeah, that doesn't happen when there's a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, hold on. I'll check my corn on the cob. Okay. But I'm really enjoying it. I can't put it down. It's free on Kindle Unlimited, which I signed up for during Prime Prime Day. Day. Yeah, which I always do because I cancel it after it's not free anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. And then he wrote another one that I read. I think it was a trilogy. And it was like, the Atlantis gene or something like that. And that was really good. I can't really remember, but there was like a virus and it like, it either made you smarter or it made you like de-evolve. Oh, okay. And I think there were aliens. I don't remember. Because <laughs> I read stuff so fast that after a couple of years, it's gone. But he writes a lot of like, 
virus books and he puts them out fairly quickly, but they're like, they're written pretty well. Yeah. And that's all I've really read while I was on vacation. I bought, brought like six books with me because I Mm -hmm. had been reading a lot. Yeah. I did not finish anything the entire time. Oh, I read The Martian. Oh, okay. For the first time. That was good. I've never seen the movie, so. I haven't either. So, and I'm excited that Project Hail Mary is going to be a movie. That's going to be fun. And they cast it Ryan Gosling. Who, let me just really quickly say, I love how much he is leaning in (laughs) to Ken. And he's just embracing it. I adore (laughs) it. I love it. I'm living for it. It's everything I didn't ever know I needed. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I've been reading and watching and... I think that's it. So tell me about New Orleans. New Orleans was a lot of fun. It was hotter than uh, Satan's ball sack. It had a okay. heat, heat index of 105. Nice. It was very swampy. Mm-hmm. Like we stopped in Mississippi to get lunch and we got out of the car and Matt goes, Ugh. I go, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, the air is literally wet. Like it was, <laughs> it was awful. It was, but we had a good time. We That's good. We're two blocks from Bourbon Street, so of course, like we did that. We went to John Lafitte's blacksmith bar, mm-hmm. which was a blacksmith shop, which was actually not a blacksmith shop. It was just a front for John Lafitte and his brother's uh, smuggling business. It's mm-hmm. allegedly haunted by somebody whose head he shoved uh, in the fireplace because he oh, was nice. stealing from him. We did a tour of St. Louis Cemetery Number One, which was more history based, not not paranormal based. Uh, the tour guide was phenomenal. Uh, we saw three tombs, which they speculate could be Marie Laveau's. If you listen mm-hmm. to that episode, yeah, then you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the first one we saw is the one that they firmly believe is most likely hers. Um, two of her partners are buried there. There's a plaque on it that says it's her, you know, final resting place or whatever. And then it has a bunch of X's on the side, which, which my Mima told me, she goes, your grandpa put X's on there when we visited. (laughs) So that's fun. That was fun. And then they have two other ones, which they call the faux Laveaux. Um, people believe that they're her tombs, but, um, historians think that they're more likely her daughters because as we discussed in the episode about Marie Laveau, um, all of her daughters were named Marie Laveau. They yeah. all just went by their middle names. And then in St. Louis Cemetery number two is another tomb, which we did not tour that cemetery, um, that they believe could potentially be hers, but is probably most likely one of her daughters. That is episode nine. Yes. Episode nine. Go check it out. It's really well-researched and very good, if I do say so myself. Um, <laughs> and then we did uh, a ghost tour, which was fun. Matt was kind of disappointed because he's like, we only really heard four stories. <laughs> he doesn't even believe in ghosts. So. No, he doesn't. Now he's like, I didn't even see a ghost. <laughs> so we did get to see the Lullery Mansion. Mm-hmm. And apparently, like, it's a, uh, like, New Orleans thing. Like, people do not walk on the same side of the street of the house. They will walk across the street. And then once they pass the house, they will then cross. Because apparently it's bad luck 
okay. past the house like you will be cursed, which brings me back to Nicolas Cage. So <laughs> Nicolas Cage used to own the Lowry Mansion. And okay. I think I'll I think I'll do a story soon about it. Um, it's been it's a story that's been covered, but I just think it would be interesting and fun to do it. Right. Um, not really fun because some really fucked up shit happened there. But right. it would be an interesting story to do. He actually called like a realtor in New Orleans and was like, "Hey, uh, I want to buy a haunted house," and that was the <laughs> house that this realtor picked for him. And it was also like while he was living there, he started having all his problems like with the IRS and stuff. So they, a lot of people attribute that to the curse. And apparently when he was living there, he was a big dickhead and he would get picked up for public drunkenness, which apparently is very hard to do in New Orleans. <laughs> and like he was keying people's cars and just being an absolute douchebag. So he goes to a, uh, you know what? I'm going to save that story for when I actually do the Lollary Mansion. Okay. He also... The, the story I was going to tell has to do with this, but I'll save it. He also has a mausoleum built in St. Louis number, Cemetery Number 1, and is all it's all tied into his ownership of the Lullery Mansion. So it okay. was very fun. It was a very interesting... It was a fun visit. Hotter than hell. Matt's like, I think I would come back. I would not stay... like Because we stayed in the French Quarter slash Central Business District. And... I think if I had to do it again, I would stay closer to, like, Magazine Street because, like, it's not, like, a party area. Like, the area right. we stayed in is more of the party area, and that's not really our vibe. But overall, yeah, it was a good It was a good trip. Had a lot of fun. Awesome. A lot of homeless people. Bourbon Street smells like piss. And, mm. and if you go there... So I'd been watching, like, TikToks about, like, things to do in New Orleans and stuff. And one of the things, like, they bring up, like, in these TikToks is, like, if somebody walks up to you and says, I bet you I know where you got your shoes. Don't take the bet. Tell them, yes, on my feet. Because what they do, because that's what they'll say is on the ground or on your feet. And then they expect you to give them money. So I had told Matt this. I'm like, if anybody comes up to us and said this, just say on your feet or on the ground. And we didn't really expect anybody to come up to us. And if we did, we thought it was going to be on Bourbon Street because that's where all the drunks are, right? No, it was on Magazine Street. And this guy walks up to us and is like, hey, man, I bet I know where you got your shoes. And Mac immediately, yeah, on my feet because I had told him, right? This mm-hmm. guy got pissed. Like, his face dropped. <laughs> he was mad. And then so we keep walking down the street. We go have lunch. As we're walking back to where we parked our car, we encounter the guy again. And he starts to say the same thing. But then he looks at Matt and he goes, never mind. Like, because he remembered Matt. And then they have, like, um, Buddhist monks walking up and down the street trying to hand you, like, prayer beads and stuff. They yeah. tell you not to take them because they want money from you. So... That was interesting. We encountered both of those things, which I did not think was going to happen, but it did. <laughs> but overall, great time. Would not go yeah. in August. Matt's like, I would go again. He's like, just not in August, like maybe in the spring. It's July. July, whatever. Whatever time of year it is, it's hot. <laughs> okay, whatever. It's hot and muggy. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's all I, we've been doing. Um, so we're back, everybody. We're both yeah. back from our vacations. We'll be back next week with a fun story that I'm working on. I can't wait to tell Callie all about it. Okay. I think this is like your 10th story in a row. 
but that's okay. That's okay. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> Very excited. It makes me feel lazy. It's one I've wanted to do for a long time, and I finally am doing it. Well, it's not Roanoke because I already did that. No, 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 no. It's not Roanoke, <laughs> and it's not the Romanovs because. I don't have the mental fortitude to do that yet because that's going to be a multi-parter and going to require a ton of research. And I just not mentally prepared for that. But yeah. it's, it's a fun little story. Okay. I'm excited. I'm excited. So. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. Yeah, that's all I got. I got ribs that are coming out of the smoker, so I'm super stoked. Oh, yum. I'm going to make <laughs> spaghetti and meat sauce, but we it's had only that last 220, night. so... Not having it right now. <laughs> All right, everyone. This has been horrendous. Thanks for listening. Oh, quick, real quick. Yeah. Congratulations, Andrea from Grizzly Grapes on getting married. We are so happy yes. for you. Yes. Pictures are beautiful. You You're look beautiful. Stunning. stunning. Emily, you look beautiful stunning. too. Yes. <laughs> I didn't want to forget our podcasting besties. Yes. I feel like an asshole. But yes, congrats. Love this for you. You looked like a million bucks. Um, Yes. But anyway, yes. Listen to us again next week, as always. This has been horrendous. A Best Friends (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Bye, besties.